This week, we're trying something a bit different. We're doing a short episode with just Libby and myself doing a friendly debate. But we'd love your feedback on anything else you'd like to see in these short episodes. And we will be back in two weeks with interviews with some leading education investors. So you can also look forward to that. Hope you enjoy the episode. Hey, Libby. Hey, I'm excited. How about you? I'm extremely excited. You know why? Great. Why are you excited? Because today I finally got to take the gloves off. Battle Royale time. Huh. I'm not sure that's quite what I signed up for for this conversation, but uh, okay. Well, we did We did agree to do a friendly debate. Usually when I'm hosting, I feel the obligation to be polite, actually listen when other people are speaking. Be nice and normal, in other words. Yeah, it kills me usually. And so now I can just let it fly. Wow, Owen, you're really doing a great job of inspiring other guests to come and join yourself. This is the whole point. I try to be nice to guests, but to my friends. You give them a really tough time. Okay, awesome. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Can't wait. Okay, well, you pick the topic. What are we going to chat about? We picked a topic that has come up a few times in some of our episodes that we think we might have slightly different views on, which is talking about the hallucination rates of large language models and how much of an issue they are when it comes to building education products. I'm interested to hear where we deviate on thinking about this. I feel like you were just trying to kill me with kindness there. It makes me want to collaborate in this conversation as opposed to just going for the kill. I do think the term hallucination is thrown out a lot. So it can mean lots of different things. But I do think substantively, me and you have slightly different, maybe risk tolerances or just perceptions, how big a problem certain types of hallucinations can be. I think it would be helpful for us to maybe talk about a few different versions of hallucination. This was a term that was coined in the context of research into large language models very early on, maybe two or three years ago, when these language models were still doing pretty wild stuff. Maybe I'd be like, hey, write me a historical discussion of the American Revolution. And partway through, we'd start talking about unicorns or something that was so weird and so off topic. I think the initial reference was like it was a psychedelic hallucination. That name stuck. Those things don't happen as much now. Sometimes they'll just get tasks wrong. Maybe it won't get a math solution right. So you can say, hey, what's the correct answer of some moderately complex arithmetic problem? Language models can do both of those types of errors. And I think a lot of times, colloquially, people will say that those are both hallucination. For me, when we're talking about hallucination, I basically mean models are getting stuff wrong. So in my mind, that's what we're talking about now. Maybe you can kick off, Owen. You said you had a spicy take. So we've got warm takes on a technical, we've got hot takes, and now we're introducing spicy takes. So I'm intrigued to hear what your spicy take is. I think I should put a disclaimer, the real world of take a much more cautious perspective. But I do think that in the context of well-designed educational tools, not the risk of hallucination, not the probability, but rather how much damage they do, I think people greatly overestimate in terms of how badly would it interfere with the students learning, how catastrophic would a mistake be. I feel like you've kind of up a bit of a straw man there, Owen, because I don't think anyone's saying it's catastrophic. People aren't going to die if (laughs) <laughs> ask ChatGPT a question and then it gets it wrong. I mean, catastrophic learning failure, not existential risk. I mean, if we're talking about what education's about, K-12 education in schools, part of what they do is helping kids learn facts that are true about the world. And that's, for my eyes, a pretty core responsibility that schools and teachers and educators have. And textbooks have a really high bar, right? So you get a little bit of wrong stuff, but 
the hallucination rate, let's say, of textbooks is really pretty minuscule. And so if you're saying, hey, instead of using this textbook or this really high quality content in your classroom, do you use something that has a pretty high rate of making factual errors that can then lead to students misunderstanding a topic, a concept? I think we should be questioning that and really thinking hard about what error rates are acceptable. And so I think better understanding how those can be minimized and what products and architectures do that well, and then encouraging more transparency so that people know what they're signing up to. What's the name for the straw man and steel man? What's the name for when someone presents their opinion as so reasonable that it's really hard to object with? Being right. I just think the idea of there being a single definitive fact, that's not actually really important learning, in my opinion. If it's some middle school history class and it's important to understand the line of succession for the tutors or something like that, I'm not saying that there's no role for that. But the way people learn is like, we don't just download a fact. A lot of stuff around reasoning around mathematics or being able to analyze texts or learning a foreign language, right? It's this interactive process where we have to engage with an idea, take a first pass at it, solidify that learning, revisit it. This extremely iterative process. And so this idea, a slightly wrong fact, will totally disrupt me learning a complex skill. I think there's very little evidence for that, how we actually solidify complex skills and knowledge bases. There is a point at which if something's so frequently wrong that it's a distraction, it's just inefficient for kids to be using it, having to go back to other resources, go on Google search, check with teachers. What is that error rate? And what is the error rate of some of the products and tools that are being used in schools at the moment? We don't know, right? I mean, I agree with you there, but it's really important to think about how the counterfactual is used. A textbook that's been vetted will have fewer errors, but it's not interactive. It's linear in a specific way. I can't ask follow-up questions. I really don't know. If you had a kid go back and forth for 20 minutes with a model and be like, wait. But you're basically saying as long as it's interactive, it's fine. <laughs> that you could just go and like play a game that has no learning benefit. But as long as it's interactive so they're engaged, it's fine. What I'm saying is this would be supervised. It would be a learning activity. But one option is that you get a talk with an expert, I've even though it... I mean, you've, you've hung up because you're, uh, you can't take the heat. No. <laughs> Um, I'm sorry you lost me. I might have been moving too fast, but let me slow <laughs> down here. Oh, I was saying that if you said read 10 pages in Encyclopedia Britannica about the Mexican Revolution or spend 20 minutes chatting with ChatGPT about the Mexican Revolution, obviously contingent on the kid doing it, I would bet the kid would know a lot more about the Mexican Revolution having an interactive conversation. Which yeah, has to be at, at an acceptable hallucination rate, right? If they're doing that and X percent of the content is just wrong, then it's not a valuable experience. If I spend this hypothetical 30 minutes with the LM and 30 minutes reading textbook, in those 30 minutes, how many things that might not be fully correct would the student be exposed to? I totally believe that you get more of the mistakes from the chat than you would from a textbook. My argument is you'd learn so much more in aggregate. You'd actually have a much better grasp of what was happening. You'd remember it more. You'd be able to retrieve it, that it outweighs the mistakes. But again, the alternative isn't, hey, everyone sit there in silence, read the textbook for 30 minutes. There are much more engaging activities that teachers could be doing with students just on content where they have full confidence in its accuracy. Yeah, I, mean, I think what we're coming at is what the comparison point is, right? Obviously, if it's a really rich, well thought out, 
lesson plan, then I think the detrimental effects of having some inaccurate information, those trade-offs become a lot more tricky. I think it also really found topics. I'm less convinced about primary school math, younger kids where it's more difficult for them to be self-directed. To me, I really see this compelling thing of tweeners or high school. I could just see so much value. The age piece is super important for sure. I do agree that it's the older kids get less of an issue, partly because they're better able to quality assure and they know enough to be able to yeah. realize when things are wrong. Whereas maybe like an eight-year-old would be struggling enough for it. Okay, so I guess this was a draw, a technical knockout, an ed technical knockout. <laughs> okay, we're going to edit out all the swear words because I was so exasperated <laughs> yes. with Libby's outrageous and scandalous positions. I am known for my outrageous and scandalous positions. That is your MO. <laughs> well, okay, this is the first time we're trying this. Hopefully you like it. If you don't like it, tell us and we'll come up with something better. But hopefully it's been fun. Let it know. No, no, no. It was fun. It was fun. I think we have to just be clearer when someone wins or not, because I kind of want to know Ooh. if I won or not. Oh, okay. Well, this is an audience poll. Okay, we'll introduce this. Yes. Online, we'll put a vote. Thanks, guys. Bye. <laughs>